Well, good morning, New Hope. Good to be with you, almost, at least uh, visually. Uh, we're together. Uh, sorry we had to make this change, but there's an upsurge of cases of COVID in our church, and we don't want to be passing it around. Some people, that hits really hard. Uh, so we, we thank you for joining us. Uh, we're in this series we're looking at from the book of Ephesians, and this morning we're in Ephesians chapter 4, and it's a rather long chapter, and what I want to do is I read through it, I felt the Lord impress upon me 12 phrases that all have to do with our practice as Christians. So we're, our series is called Rediscovering Church. We're looking at church from a new perspective. What can we learn new, fresh? What foundation can we uncover so we're back on bedrock, on the solid truth? And uh, in uh, Ephesians chapter 4, we have 12 of these things. So I got 29 minutes left, so I got to really hustle with, to get through 12 of these, but I think we can do it. What do you think it is that attracts people to a church? Typically, we think, well, it's, it's got to have some really great preaching, and that, then that would attract people. It's got to have some really good worship and uh, instrumentalists. Uh, that's really important. It's got to have air conditioning and comfortable seating and all these things. We, we understand those are the things that attract people to a church. But are those the spiritual things? Are those the things that people who are needy and need Jesus are really looking for? Or is it something a little more basic, a little more hidden, a little more in practice? So we're going to call this message the 12 Practices of the Spirit. And uh, we're going to start in uh, verse 1 of Ephesians 4. He says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. To live a life worthy. That's the first thing. It's a practice. Worthy of what? Worthy of the calling. Live a life. Live is a verb. It's an action. It requires you to do something. It's not what you think. It's not what you believe. It's what you do, how you live your life. Now, with this COVID-19 pandemic, we can't just crawl in a hole someplace and hide out. We have to live our lives. So I refuse to, to just huddle in a corner someplace like I'm terrified. I want to live my life. I don't want to be stupid. I don't want to be ignorant. I don't want to pass this on to other people who are more vulnerable than I am. But I can't be afraid. I have to live my life. I'm supposed to live it in a, in a manner that's worthy of the calling the calling. What is this calling? We have a calling. Every one of us, we have a calling to represent God, to represent Christ on this earth. That has nothing to do with going to church or not. That has everything to do with the way we live our lives in the workplace, in the neighborhood, down at the marketplace. When we come to church, we live. Christ is in us. We live it. That's, a, that's the first practice of the Spirit. Here's the second one. It's in verse 3. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So the second practice is to keep the unity of the Spirit. Keep is a verb. It requires us to take action. It requires us to move. It requires us to do something. Keep. Keep the unity. 
of the Spirit, not the unity of your political party, the unity of the Spirit. We can have diverse opinions here, but we have to have the unity of the Spirit. We can't be divided there. And if I were Satan, that I would attack that right down the middle. And we know that's, what, that's exactly what's happened. The church is divided. How many denominations do we have? And the numbers aren't decreasing, they're increasing. Everybody's splitting and dividing off. We got to get back to the unity of the Spirit. That's what's really important. Through the bond of peace. Bond. That's the glue. That's the adhesive that holds us together. It's that peace thing. It's that peace. We, he, we can't function together and make a difference in this world if we're divided. So we have to find peace amongst ourselves. We have to work at that. That's the second one. Keep the unity of the Spirit. Here's the third one. It's in verses 4 and 5. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one. This is the unity thing that he's calling us to. One body, one spirit. That's a practice. We have to live our lives like that. We have to live our lives understanding that we are one body, one corporate body, as we talked about last week, some of us are external parts of the body and others of us are internal parts of the body. But we're one body. We have to stay unified. If we divide up the body of Christ, we completely disannul what he came to do, bring unity. We need to think about this because people aren't interested in a nice pretty building and how we do things in a worship service on Sunday. What they're interested in is reality. Can Christ make a difference in someone's life? And that should be evident wherever we go, whatever we do. And he says, there's one spirit in all of us. Did you catch that? I love that. One single spirit. Now, I'm here on the platform in New Hope Christian Center, and there's a handful of people here uh, making this video presentation possible. And the rest of us are sitting at home, watching it on your TV screen or your, your iPhone. And listen, there's one spirit. The same spirit that's guiding me to say these words is the same spirit inside of you receiving and interpreting the words and applying it to your life just as you, just as you have need as the spirit is leading and guiding us. One body, one spirit. That's a practice we have to keep forefront in our mind. Okay, here's number four. It's in verse seven. But to each one of us, grace has been given... As Christ apportioned it. I love that. To each one of us, grace has been given. That's past tense. It's not present. It's past. He's already done it. He's already given it to us. And you may be sitting home and saying, well, I, I, what did he give me? I don't know any, any gift that I have. He's already given it to us. What our purpose is in life is to discover that gift to develop that gift, to make that gift count, and to multiply that gift into other people. This is a requirement. We have to do this. We have to do this, church. Because to each one of us has already been given that grace. Grace is God's favor. Sometimes it's God's favor in an ability to, to be able to do something, to have a knack for communicating the gospel or to have a knack uh, setting up the atmosphere like an artistic manner. Each of us have a gift and we need to discover it. We've already received it. And then it says this, as Christ has apportioned it. 
Jesus Christ doles out the gifts. And different people have a different apportionment. Sometimes I look at other, at these TV pastors that have large crowds and they're very influential in the world. And sometimes I just, I wish, wish I could be like that. But you know, that's not my gift. This is my gift. I have to develop this gift right here. And the people that follow this ministry, we gather together, we serve the Lord together. You share in that gift. You see, we work, we work this together. It's as he apportioned. And some people have multiple gifts. And other people excel at one gift. But everybody has gifts. Because he's the one who's given them out. Now let's go to number five, because I have to keep moving. This is in verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers... He is the one who has given the gift. They weren't, it wasn't something we voted on, although sometimes a church will recognize a gift, but he's the one who gives it. It's a part of himself. Jesus Christ today sits at the right hand of the Father, but the Spirit of Christ lives inside of us. So I fulfill my gift, you fulfill your gift, we're all busy fulfilling our gift, and the body of Christ becomes stronger and built up and mature. The five-fold ministry gifts are five different aspects of leadership gifts that God places in the church. And they are gifts from Him. Don't you dare reject the gift of God. It will not go well for you. Allow God to lead and guide. Because they're a gift from Him Himself. Let's look at verse 12. Here's... Uh, The sixth thing, verse 12. The purpose of these gifts is to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. The whole purpose of these gifts is to build up, to strengthen, to construct, to encourage, build up the body of Christ. And we're all a part of the body of Christ, right? Each individual of us is a part of the body of Christ. And we need to build one another up. So the purpose of those apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, the purpose there is to build up the body, to strengthen, to encourage, to mature, to develop the body of Christ. To equip his people for works of service. Works of service. This is important. The works of service thing. The purpose of a pastor, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher isn't to make you feel good about yourself. It's to equip you to give you the tools you need to build up the body of Christ. This is what's important. To build up the body of Christ. What are you, what are you doing in an area of service that builds up the body of Christ? It's a good question. We all should be asking that question because it's a very relevant question. You see, construction workers need to be trained. They need to be skilled laborers. You don't need much training to be a part of a demolition team. Anybody can swing a wrecking ball back and forth and do all kinds of damage. And I've known people who were wrecking balls in the body of Christ. 
But the construction, that's a skilled trade. That's a talent. Somebody needs to be taught how to do that. And that's what... That's why we have leadership gifts in the church to develop other people, to train, to coach, to guide, to motivate, to encourage, to inspire. So that's the purpose. Let's look at number 7. It's in verse 15. I'm not doing too bad to get through 12 of these points. Okay, verse 15. Instead, speaking the truth in love. We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. We are the body of Christ. He's the head. We're the parts of the body. Here's the thing. Speaking the truth in love. This is the seventh practice of a spiritual believer. We practice speaking the truth in love. Now, a lot of us are speaking our definition of the truth, but for a Christian, the question is, are we doing this in love? And if you are insulting somebody, denigrating them, putting down their character, putting down their person by insults, you are not speaking the truth in love, and you are disqualifying yourself from credibility to people who are trying to learn the truth. The next time you put that post on Facebook, ask yourself the question, did did I say this in love or did I say this in hate? Am I helping to solve the problem or am I adding to the problem? Am I a part of the problem? Speaking the truth in love. Us Christians, you see, we have to speak differently than the world does. The world is always full of its opinions and it's always full of trying to persuade everybody else to see things from our perspective. But maybe that's not what glorifies God. Maybe what glorifies God is people who will speak the truth in love, encouraging, building. You see, that's what draws people in. You put hate posts on Facebook, I'll guarantee you, you are not going to persuade anybody. Nobody's going to follow your way. You do it in love, and people want to read and see what you're going to say next. Speak the truth in love. Because love is the missing ingredient in America. We've, driv- we've, we've, we've all participated in helping driving a deeper wedge to divide America. We need to do more to pull America together. And you do that by speaking the truth in love. So let's put that practice in play. That's going to help us. All right, let's go to the next one. The, uh, the eighth practice is in verses 17 18 and 19. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. The Gentiles, that's us. We're not Jewish. Anybody that's not a Jew is a Gentile. We're not supposed to think like they think in the futility of their minds. Now, I want to read the next two verses, and I want you to listen, and you tell me if you think this sounds like America today. Verse 18, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. 
having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. Greed is just selfishness. I want what I want, my way, my timing, the measurement of what I want. So, back to, back to the original point here. We must no longer live as the Gentiles do. The assumption is this is the way we used to live, this is the way we used to think, this is the way we used to vote, this is the way we used to pursue life. But we are now filled with the Spirit of God. We are not part of the body of Christ. We don't do it like that anymore. A Christian should be radically different than we were before we were a Christian. Because Christ changes our makeup. He changes the way we think. He changes our motivation. You have been born again. You are filled with the Spirit of God. You should not be like everybody else. You should stand out. You should be different. People should be asking, what's different about you? And that will give you an opportunity to speak the truth in love. You must no longer live as the Gentiles do. That's number eight. Here's number nine. We're going to jump down to verse 22. If I can find it. There it is. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds. To be made new in the attitude of your minds. Do you understand what he's saying? Our, our, our attitude needs to change. Our mind needs to change. In other words, he's saying, put off your old self. Put it off. What does that mean? It's real simple. Let me tell you what, what it means to put something off. That means there's something that you have on and you put it off. That's what it means. How hard is that for us to grasp? There, there are attitudes and feelings and emotions and things we want to do and want to say, but we have to zip it. We have to put off the old man. We're not going to do what the Gentiles did. We're not going to do what we used to do. It's a whole different life, and we are moving forward, and we're going to do this in the spirit, not in the natural. This is a spiritual thing, not a political thing. It's an attitude of our mind. The world out there isn't the least bit interested in the church because we've been communicating church from a worldly consumer mentality. But we need to be spiritual people. And we have the power of the Lord Jesus Christ inside of us that can change things and move mountains, part the seas. God can do amazing things in our life if we'll allow him, if we'll begin functioning in the spirit and not in the natural. If we sell the church as the body of Christ instead of, instead of selling the church from our political perspective, I think we'll make a difference out there to a lost world that's really looking for the truth, that's really looking for hope. Just stop it. Just don't do what you used to do. Think it through. What would Jesus do in a case like this? What would Jesus do when he read that on Facebook? What would Jesus do when he wanted to communicate to somebody?
Put off your old self. Here's the tenth practice in verse 26. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. There's nothing wrong with being angry. There are things in this world that ought to make us angry. There are injustices and unfairness and deep entrenched prejudices that we all have. That ought to make us angry when we see things happening, especially in our country, America. Everybody around the world looks at, up as, looks at us as the land of the free, where we have freedom, where everybody has the same square chance to get ahead. And when the, sometimes the deck is stacked against this or that, that's unfair in our country. And that ought to make us angry. That ought to make us want to stand up and say enough is enough. The point is, I'm trying to make here, in your anger, do not sin. Anger is a good thing. If you recall in the Bible, Jesus got angry. When he went to the temple and he tipped through those tables upside down, cracked a whip, making people get out of the way, that is anger. But it was under control. He never hurt anybody. He was building up. He was strengthening. He was making an example. In your anger, do not sin. God, help us grab a hold of this truth. Be angry. But, you, but that doesn't justify us to go and do something that hurts somebody. That should make us angry enough to do something to build up, to solve the problem, not to add to it. In your anger, do not sin. You might be angry with your spouse. You might be angry with your kids. You might be angry with your boss. But do not lash out. That's sinful. To hurt somebody, sinful. You're different. You are a Christian. Stand tall. Act like it. Live it. Here's number 11 in verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Build up. Strengthen, encourage, be a construction management operator. Build up. Don't demolish and tear down and ridicule. It doesn't persuade anybody that you're right. Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Unwholesome. I wonder what unwholesome means. I'll let you define unwholesome. But however you come up with the definition, that means don't say it. You may be thinking it, but zip your lip, don't say it. That's unwholesome talk. And if we want the world to recognize that we are born again, that we are filled with the Spirit, that, that God's favor is with us, we got to control our talk. we got to control what comes out of our lips. And in the 21st century, our talking doesn't just come out of our lips. Sometimes it comes out of our fingertips. And we've got texting, and we've got emails, and we've got means a media of mass communication. And what your talk is, it's an expression of what's in your heart. It's what's in your soul. It's what's on the inside. What comes out of your mouth, what you speak out, is what's on the inside. 
So let's let Jesus clean us up on the inside so that the only thing that comes out of this is out of us is is wholesome talk, good talk, building up, positive. People want to hear what we got to say because they always feel better about it. They always feel like they have a little bit more wisdom after that. Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Be a living example. Practice what you preach. Let people see that Christ has made a difference in you. Here's the last point. Number 12. The 12th practice in verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. I'm sealed by the Holy Spirit. Praise God. We forget what he just told us to do. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. When somebody does something that is contrary to what I'm trying to do, they just, they just threw a wrench in the cog. They just tripped me up. That grieves me. I may not say it, I may not act it out, but I want people going down the same path. I don't want people trying to trip me up and people trying to catch me in some mistake. I want people to support me. I want people going the same direction. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. It's the same kind of feeling the Holy Spirit has when He is here on this earth to accomplish a a purpose and He indwells every one of us, men, women, boys and girls, whenever we've opened our life to the Spirit, He indwells us. He begins to work in our life. And as He begins to work in our life, He accomplishes His goal. Pretty much takes a lifetime for Him to do that, but He's at work in our lives. You see, God is moving Christianity is a movement, and I have Christ in my heart, and He is moving me. If you'd have told me in the first year or two of my salvation that one day I was going to be pastoring a church, and I was going to be preaching on camera that's going to be broadcast out to who knows how many people, it would have terrified me because I wasn't ready yet. You see, there was a movement God was doing in me, and and it required time for me to grow and mature and get the experience Uh, to be able to do what he's called me to do. God is moving inside of me. God is moving inside of you. You can look back over your life, can't you, since you opened your life to Christ, and you can see the Spirit moving you in a direction to a new place. Do not grieve that. Resisting what God's trying to do grieves the Holy Spirit. It, It thwarts his plan. So resistance grieves the spirit. To fail to move with the flow of God's spirit grieves the spirit. And he won't be grieved forever. He'll move on to somebody else. If you won't play by his rules, if you won't get involved in the movement that the spirit of God is trying, it's it's like a river. It's, it's It's a flow, always flowing downward toward its goal. It's always flowing. If it comes up upon something hard, it just goes around it. If it comes upon something soft that won't budge, it just builds up pressure till it blasts its way through. It's like a river. The Holy Spirit's like a river moving in us, and He is going to, to, to set a course and press all the way through to the other side. He will not stop moving. But if I become a resistance, 
If you become a resistance, if you grieve what the Holy Spirit's trying to develop in you, he'll just move on to someone else. And you'll be sitting there on the bench doing nothing. I don't think you want that. I don't want that. So, 12 practices of a spiritual Christian. 12 practices of a spiritual church. This is, this is the way we should function. This is the way we should live. It has to do with discipline. It has to do with the way we live our life. It has to do with the way you live your life. So what are you going to do with this message? What are you going to do with this challenge? This is something we all need to ask ourselves that question. Because there's something we do need to do. And maybe we just need to recognize that I just said something that stepped on your toes. That I just mentioned something that was uncomfortable for you. The Spirit told me to say it. And you are hearing it. And it's wakened you up to something. Some change you need to make. Stop and think. What is that change you need to make? You might want to make a note because you'll forget it first thing in the morning because we need to take action steps if we're going to change anything. If we don't change, we are grieving the Holy Spirit. Don't do that. Maybe what you need to do is get a fresh start. Maybe what you need to do in your life is say, I've, I got sidetracked. I went off in the wrong direction. I wasn't very spiritual with that. I'm going to change. If that's you, I want you to go to the bottom of your screen and click that raise your hand button because that means I recognize I'm under conviction. I recognize I'm not doing what I should do in my Christian walk. Click on that. And that will let us know you're responding. You're taking a step. That will encourage me that I'm doing the right thing, that I didn't miss God, that I heard God. And I want to pray for you. Heavenly Father, by the grace of God, I pray that you would move in our lives Father, we see chaos in the world all around us, turbulence and trouble, and we don't know where it's all going to end. But, Father, you're the peace giver. Bring us peace right in the middle of the chaos and help us to be the children you've called us to be. Change our lives. Help us to surrender to you so that you can move fully in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you heard what I said then let it soak down inside. Let it take root in your life. You can be different. I can be different. Let's make this world a different place. Amen? Amen. Go with God. Time to get your pajamas off and get dressed. Have a great day.